Coming up on episode 43 of Anchor Persons. The Great Brain Robbery. Your USB device was not properly installed. I got a pairing for you. Your face and my ass. Finally, a podcast shopping network item with strong appeal. And what does dealing with the devil have to do with Bioshock? Stay tuned to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Anchor Persons. From the south and east of the northwest, the land of trees and rivers, microbrews and beards, it's Anchor Persons with Gene and Greg Person. Featuring sports, emotional weather, food crime, the podcast shopping network, and more. Anchors weigh you down. Cut loose with your news. Here's Gene and Greg. Good evening, wherever you are, whoever you are, and welcome to Anchor Persons. I'm Gene Person. And I'm Greg Person. No relation. Anchor Persons is a news show for people who do not like news shows by people who do not like news shows. And it was uh, really, really nice to use an intro segment that wasn't about our home state being on fire for once. Oh man, I went outside this evening just now to take my dog out and breathe the air completely unaided. It is magical. Yeah, it's truly wonderful to be like fully smoke-free. All right, let's get into tonight's story beats. An Indiana man is in jail for repeatedly calling 911 to complain about being tired, given that he'd previously been arrested for driving drunk through a cemetery, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, a nap might not fix it. President Joe 23 Skidoo Biden has announced that he'll be dropping the travel bans put in place during the pandemic, but only for visitors who are fully vaccinated. So to our foreign friends, if you're vaccinated have a passport, and have a secret dream of being shot for the simple act of wearing a mask at a Walmart, let me be the first to say, America's door is wide open. A recent survey shows that 40% of respondents would have sex with a robot, and the other 60% never saw Battlestar Galactica. Residents of a Colorado town are pleading for the return of a phone booth that served as the centerpiece of a public park for 50 years. If they still haven't found it by now, they should consider looking for it in 1996. A McDonald's customer in Britain is considering going vegan after discovering what looked like a pig nipple in his bacon buddy. Mate, You won't believe what percentage of bacon is actually the flesh of pigs. Apparently, entrepreneur and adrenochrome enthusiast Elon Musk took offense to the lack of public comment by the president on a successful low-Earth orbit that Musk had almost nothing to do with, and insinuated Biden was still sleeping. To which Biden replied, Five more minutes. A very good, very human non-reptilian laugh was had by all. This is the part in the show where I say enough about the news. It's main news. So I've said before that I believe gaming is an incredible art form and storytelling medium. When I think back through countless games that I enjoyed, though, there are benchmarks, points at which my experience of the kind of story you can tell through games took a giant leap forward. One of those leaps happened shortly after I bought my Xbox 360 because I purchased a title I had never heard of called Bioshock. When I played it, it blew my mind. I'd seen games that were vaguely political, and I'd seen games at that point that took me to fantasy landscapes, of course, 
I had seen games that told a good story with twists and turns, and I had seen games that were above par in terms of both gameplay and graphic design. I had never seen that particular mix of all of those elements in such a complete and beautiful package before, however. For those who haven't played the game, Bioshock puts you in the role of a silent protagonist who is in a plane crash in the Atlantic. Below a nearby lighthouse on a small island, he finds transport that takes him to an objectivist's underwater utopia turned dystopia. And no, I'm not talking about the United States in 30 years. There's more to the story than that, but there isn't a lot I don't like about the game. Sadly, I can never go back and experience it for the first time again, because some of the clever scares and traps, certainly story revelations, don't pack as much punch on subsequent playthroughs. But that doesn't make the game any less valuable to me. While the story told in later games like The Last of Us is a nuanced gourmet meal, the story told in Bioshock is like a good home-cooked meal. It may be less complicated on the palate, but the flavors are good, familiar, and there's plenty there to fill you up. But what does that have to do with? Dealing with the Devil, otherwise known as the Faustian Bargain or the Mephistophelian Bargain. It's a device that we've seen over and over again in literature and folklore. Uh, Faust, of course, The Devil and Tom Walker. Uh, a new book that just came out last year that I enjoyed very much, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Now, these stories are, are a big part of our culture because they are usually to show the folly of hubris and greed, but sometimes they show how exceptionally clever people can beat the system and have everything they desire. So there's a, a moral lesson for some and an aspirational lesson for others. So what do those two things have to do with one another? I would argue that all of the games in the Bioshock series, to some degree or another, involve a protagonist making some kind of deal that may not be directly with a devil, but but that puts him into a, a really bad position. And in in Bioshock, the the deal you make with one of the characters, one of the what you think is a good guy. I see. I, I don't want to get into any spoilers here, but it turns out to be kind of a deal with the devil. Well, I think you can spoil this game. It's a good yeah, what, it's 20 been around years old, while. probably. So. Right. So, so throughout the game, you're getting messages from this Atlas character, and you're and you're going around, and you're you're trying to help him, and uh, that that culminates in you killing Andrew Ryan, who is the Ayn Rand of this dystopian world. And uh, at that point, Atlas reveals himself to be Frank Fontaine who's basically an underworld criminal and uh, Andrew Ryan's biggest rival. And then he uh, controls the underwater city of Rapture from there on out. Well, and I would say that pride and, and hubris and overweening ambition are actually major themes of Bioshock. Oh, yeah. And in, in fact, all three of the, the games in the series. Yeah, I think those may be uh, demons that uh, Ken Levine <laughs> wrestles with himself. He is the, uh, of course, the, the game designer. Well, yeah, he, he definitely uh, had an ambitious project and it mostly paid off. Yeah. And there's something, uh, you know what I'm thinking of, speaking of uh, devils and demons, mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking of the little sisters who in the game definitely have a kind of a demonic, creepy aspect to them. Sure. And in a way, you have to... So there's there's two ways to play through the game. You can either 
save the little sisters and get less of a very valuable resource that helps you in your gameplay. Or you can harvest them, which kills the little sisters and and ultimately, you know, turns you into the devil of the game. And uh, but you get a lot more of that resource. And, you know, the other thing I'm thinking of, too, that's a parallel is the fact that everybody in, in Rapture, they get the opportunity to sort of pursue their own heart's desire. But it that's, always that's true it turns out twisted and destructive. Yeah. So uh, you want to be incredibly athletic. You can splice your genes with this substance called Adam and, and become exactly that. Unfortunately, this will also mutate you and make you dependent on the Adam, which then turns you into basically... For, for lack of a better term, a demon willing to do the bidding of the man who controls the Atom. Yeah, I mean, the whole game really is is about a whole city full of people who made their own Faustian bargains. Right, right. 100%. This so, is a, another one that we actually did a pretty good job on. By and accident. we absolutely did not plan in advance that, yeah, this is a, it's tough to get the amount of content we need when we have a, a story that's tied together so quickly. I'm wondering if there's anywhere else we can go with this. Well, let's see. So Rapture takes place down in the dark, in, in the depths of the sea, right? That's, right. Rapture's the, the city where uh, Bioshock takes place. Yeah, this, it's deep in an ocean trench. This, yeah. underwater, this underwater libertarian utopia. Now you, right. you go to Bioshock Infinite, uh -huh. which is the third game, and maybe the best game in the series certainly from uh, the storytelling point of view it's the best game in the series although it will never it will never have what the first game had for me in terms of like just the shock factor because a lot of what came in Bioshock Infinite I was I was expecting it right and you you'd played in that series of games before it was all new in the first one so it was right really exciting right. but um that one is kind of the opposite. You you go up to the heavens, basically. You're you're right. in this big cloud city, and yeah, you're in a floating city of Columbia. Yeah, and it's it's not. Whereas the first game was patterned around objectivism, the third game is patterned around uh, American exceptionalism. Yeah, that's a real fun subject to play around with. Well, and there was this sort of stew of themes from the American Great Awakening from like the 1840s, you know, of nationalism mm -hmm. and, and religion and, and apocalypticism kind of all wrapped up in this weird burrito. And certainly the whole manifest destiny concept and all of that as well. Oh yeah, 100%. Um, but in that too, the you don't realize until the very end, and so there's no spoilers here, but you don't realize until the very end that you have more in common with the villain of the game than you thought you did. Yeah, quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you realize that you also made a kind of a bargain that... Right, exactly. Yeah. You made a bargain that, that provided you with a, a second chance at recovering from a mistake that you once made. And yeah, 100%, you are, you are spot on. 
So here's the here's the weird thing about this particular this particular tie though. If if our listeners haven't played through these Bioshock games, they probably don't even know what we're talking about. No, but like the first time that you experience that twist at the end of the third game, like it's great. It, yeah, it feels really cool. So I have it, to admit it it caused like the the way the story was told and particularly the story of Elizabeth, the character that you are trying to protect and help in the game, it made me cry a lot. Oh, it's it's one of those one of the first moments in a video game where they're really trying to get you in the feels, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would argue that uh, Last of Us was way more successful at that because I still can't really play through the whole opening of The Last of Us uh, without like bawling my eyes out. I still and it got never... so much, so much worse after I became a parent. Well, I still have never played that one. So yeah. one of these days I'm going to. I've tried to avoid learning about it. Yeah, well, I'll just say that in the in the first very first part of the game, there's a very difficult to stomach event Hmm. that just it's heartbreaking but it's it's part of what makes the overall story of the game so great anyway how about the fact that um 2k interactive which published the bioshock series and well irrational games was owned by 2k and 2k is owned by take two i believe oh that would make sense because take two they do a lot of those storytelling kind of games but they're also i mean so they they also own rockstar i was hoping it was going to be tied to like activision or ea because that would be a real easy like deal with the devil segue (laughs) right but that's they're just a much more straightforward devil yeah take two is not so bad so But, I mean, we still have some valuable takeaways. Uh, It turns out that we have a series of games that really is kind of about Faustian bargains on the small scale and, you know, for the overall arc of the narrative itself. That's true. We nailed it. Like, one shot, one kill. We actually have a very easy, nice pairing here. Very harmonious. Let's go ahead and move on to breaking news. You know, folks, when I was a kid, 2021 was the gritty cyberpunk future, and it absolutely is. But the thing is, is we get used to it. We've been slowly acclimated to it over the course of our lives. So it just feels like the real world. It doesn't always punch you in the face, but sometimes it really does. So check this one out. So in Russia, there's a cryonics company that's storing bodies and brains and pets in liquid nitrogen in the hopes that in an even more impossible future they can be revived. But the guy who owns the cryonics company, he got in a bit of a kerfuffle with his ex-wife who now runs her own cryonics company with his old boss. And she came to her ex-husband's company in the dead of night, stole some of the corpses, took some heads for the road, some roadhead, if you will. Jesus. Okay. So police come, they intercept the the cargo, the trucks that she was carrying the bodies away on, but she escapes with one of the heads. So 
Now the courts are trying to sort out who owns all these corpsicles and what condition they're in. Now, if you want to know about their condition, I can tell you their condition is dead. They right. are dead. They shall remain dead. Now, anyone who's listening to this and thinking of having your own body frozen for whatever reason you want to live forever or be revived in the age of flying cars, I'll just give you a piece of advice. Don't turn your corpse into a commodity to be squabbled over by bitter divorcees. Right. I kind of want to develop a television series based on this. It's pretty great. I mean, definitely it's at least one Black Mirror episode. Just, you know, cremate yourself, have some dignity, you know, get cremated. Or just get buried without embalming. Just right, you can you could become a tree now. That's a thing, you know. Yeah, they bury you, they plant a tree over you. It's very nice. I mean, because you think about it, these people who are cryonically suspended, mm-hmm. they have families, you know, they have survivors who are seeing this nonsense, and they're saying, "Oh, Dave's there." I wonder if Dave's body is one of the bodies that's currently being tussled over in a Russian court right now to see who owns his body. Nobody wants that for their family. Also from like, not necessarily a spiritual uh, point of view or whatever, but like, I, I, I really want when I die, my energy to go back into this grand tapestry that is the universe. And if it's still trapped in the meat flesh, it can't do that. Uh, That's fair. I think that's a reasonable concern that I also share. We're not supposed to be here forever, folks. Right. Okay. So, moving on to my breaking news story. A teen was recently admitted to the emergency room in the UK after he decided to attempt to measure his penis internally with a USB cable. The boy, 15 years old, was sexually curious, and that prompted him to insert the cable into his urethra. Unfortunately, he found he he wasn't able to remove the cable once it was in there, And reportedly, the cord kind of got quite tangled inside, which, you know, a cable will do. And uh, at one point, both ends were hanging out of his penis. So sometime later, he started urinating blood and finally sought help. Surgeons, because of the tangle of cable inside, wound up actually having to perform real surgery in order to remove the cabling. The operation was a success and the patient was discharged from the hospital the following day. Now, I don't know that I need to say this necessarily, but the first priority in responsible computing is good cable management. Should have had one of them zip ties on his dick. You fix up that cable with a zip tie, you're not going to get that tangle. Also, don't worry about measuring. Dude, it, it really doesn't matter that much. What you got is what you got, and the only measurement that really counts is the reaction your partner gives you. And if they are faking it, which I guess is a common fear among guys... They're probably only doing it because of your fragile ego. So ask them how you can do better and ask for an honest answer. You can only win from this proposition. At any rate, I think the most difficult part of this story for me was that it was a USB cable because you know, you know, Greg, that means he had to pull it out and reinsert it at least a couple of times before he was sure it was going in the right way. Right. You got to make sure that you hear that click, which is probably Mm -hmm. what those, those Kurds in Iran were doing. Or at least until your balls give you the little dung dung. Right. You hear the chime. You know that you're connected. 
But mm-hmm. this is, I gotta say, as you were reading, this is one of the worst things I've ever heard. I was grimacing so hard that my face hurt. Oh yeah, it's fucking terrible. So there's some speculation that he wasn't actually trying to measure it, although that's what he said, that he was uh, just experimenting with sounding, which is the act apparently of putting something in your urethra. Apparently it's really common. They they make stuff specifically for that, that you're going to be able to safely remove. This is like a weird kind of pica situation. Like there's this obsession with putting things into your penis that don't belong there. And it's almost like the, the obsession with eating things that aren't actually food. You see, I don't know where it arises, but I have never, ever felt the urge to put anything in my dick. Oh, same, same, same. That's, in fact, if we could stop talking about it altogether, that would rule. Oh, that's not going to happen because he was. So if he was trying to measure it, I, I have an idea of why he was trying to go about it from the inside. Because uh, the spongy tissue that makes up your penis does go in a little bit below what is visible. So you can't just measure it with like, you know, uh, a tape measure or something. You have to really dig in to get to the very base of it. So yeah, I think but that's you're what not he was supposed attempting to measure to that way. That's cheating. Right, right. That's <laughs> that's true. But I, I don't know. Maybe he just maybe he just wanted to know how deep the rabbit hole really goes. Oh, God. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) Oh, like, seriously, my face right now looks like I just ate a lemon made out of shit. Like, that's the the face that I'm making. Well, you know, when life gives you shit lemons. (laughs) What, make shit aid? (laughs) Make shit lemonade. Yeah. God, this is the worst. This is this is worse than my dick cracking story. It really is. It's pretty bad. All right. We can be done with it. We can move on. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. After all this wonderful penis talk, it is time for our new segment, Touching Tips with Gene and Greg. That's right, folks. We care about you. We want you to be living your best lives. So we put together these tips uh, that we hope will touch your lives in their own special way. These are little life hacks. And this week, the theme is cooking. So, uh, hungry for lunch? You can't go wrong with a classic PB&J. The only hard part is getting Piers Brosnan and Jason Mewes to show up in the first place. Yeah, they won't be seen in the same room together anymore. Mm -hmm. Looking to score a free pizza? Order one and intercept the robot a few blocks from your house. Remember, you can't steal from a robot. You might find yourself wondering if the pronunciation is bruschetta or bruschetta. But it's crostini covered in bits of tomato, herbs, and olive oil. So maybe we just call it tomatoast. Exactly. Why are we still calling it by this Italian word that we don't even know how to say? Right. Speaking of which, cooking international foods can be intimidating. But remember, anything is a taco if you fold it. This is true. Remember to factor in altitude when cooking with an oven. Remember to factor in attitude when cooking with a parent. And remember to factor in platitudes when cooking chicken soup for the soul. Speaking of poultry, if you need Thanksgiving turkey help, ask your mom for her secret. Just be specific unless you want to find out who your real father is. All right, and now it is time. Now it is time for the fake true story. (laughs) All right, folks, a little science news for you this week. Scientists have discovered a way to build on Mars with bricks made out of Martian soil, urea, 
and blood. We don't know how they arrived at this formula, but we definitely probably do. Ah, hello, Doctor. Oh, where are my manners? Come in, sit down. Listen, before you tell me about your breakthrough, I just want to say I appreciate how hard you've been working on all of this. It seems like every time I try to schedule this meeting during the day, you are way too busy. But you're still here when I leave at night. So, thank you for making the time now, just after sunset. My pleasure. Now, there is no sense batting around the bush. I have discovered the missing ingredient. It's blood. Blood? Blood! You see, you mix the blood with dirt and uh, piss or something. But mainly blood. Dr. Acula, you're a genius. The number of uses you found for blood is truly mind-boggling. What do you need to finish your experiments? Just more blood. I need lots more delicious, uh, dedicated volunteers. No problem. Now, if you excuse me, I'm late for my Knights of Columbus meeting. <laughs> How does he do that? Genius. Greetings, gentle listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, you may also like Brosé, a mirthy talk show starring four bros who sip wine and consider questions submitted by you, the audience, about current events, pop culture, and which Muppet you should get tattooed on your back. Subscribe to Brosé wherever you get your podcasts. That's B-R-O-S-E. Brosé, the podcast for those who drink rosé. Uh, I guess now it's time for sports. So the Olympics is great in a way. Sure, it's hugely expensive and detrimental to the nations that host it. And it doesn't really accomplish anything. And victory means a lot less than it used to. And it's mostly a marketing vehicle at this point. But I do like the idea of nations sending their best and brightest to compete in various events. The Olympics has had its share of showcase sports and the like, and that's okay, but here's my proposal. Every four years, we throw out the game book of the stale formula of the Winter and Summer Olympics, and we make one big, year-round Olympic bash. The games of this new Other Olympics? Exactly the games that we have covered on our sports segment in the past. You're telling me you've never wanted to compete in Finnish wife carrying? Estonian competitive swinging? Extreme ironing? The pumpkin regatta? Think about it. This represents a chance for little-known sports to have real, marketable heroes. It gives the viewers at home a much bigger range of experience. They'll laugh, they'll cry, but mostly they'll cry because they're laughing so hard. Everybody takes home the gold that is a day well spent watching sport. I'll tune in for dwell flunking. I'll even stay on for toe wrestling begrudgingly. Chess boxing? Forget about it. I'm already watching. Uh, the only sport I won't be watching is ferret legging because fuck all of that. Still, I think the other Olympics could be the single greatest sporting experience in history. What do you think, Greg? Well, I think if you had a, an other Olympic village... And, you know, all these stadiums and on one end you could watch Sipak Bola Api and on the other end you could watch chess boxing and you mm -hmm. could watch the Star Trek Fighting League. Sure. I mean, yes. Yes, please. More. Now. Again. Awesome. Tens, tens, tens across the board from our committee. Oh, yeah. Like we're doing it. I'm already calling Visa 
to see if uh, they'll sponsor it. And if mm-hmm. not, I'll just put it all on my credit card. Well, then let's move on to our creature feature. Folks, the sea is full of horrors. We know this. There are creatures down there who've been evolving for billions of years in alien environments. These creatures don't give a fuck about you. If they even know you exist, they probably hate you and may well be plotting your destruction right now. And leading them will be the mantis shrimp, nature's most terrifying monster. Thank God they're only as long as your hand, but they can still punch through a man's work boot and into his puny human flesh. Because this mantis shrimp punches with the force of a 22 bullet, which underwater creates a cavitation bubble that implodes, briefly creating a temperature as hot as the surface of the goddamn sun. <laughs> Not only that, they have trifocal eyes, which means they, they have three different depths of focus. They move on independent stalks. And uh, you know how humans see three wavelengths of color vision, Gene? Uh-huh. Well, the mantis shrimp sees between 12 and 16 wavelengths. So okay. they are literally <laughs> seeing sights that man is not meant to see. So are, are they like the big contender for who's going to take over after we destroy ourselves? Dude, this is what I'm saying. The mantis shrimp is not endangered. If anything, we're endangered by them. Right. And... There's nothing we can do to stop them. Like, there are, you know, there are multidimensional secret forces that are assailing us right now that only the mantis shrimp can see, and they love it. Hmm. So, yeah, be afraid. Be afraid of what's down there. I will be afraid. I will also keep my copy of the Necronomicon handy. Oh, dude, if there was any way to banish these things, like, right. w- we would know about it, but there isn't, so... Welcome your shrimp overlords. All right, it is time for the emotional weather. This week, our emotional weather, scattered, smothered, and covered. That's right, folks. It's our salute to Waffle House because, you see, when Gene and I were young, we didn't have Kid Rock's Rocky Tonk Honkin. (laughs) Whatever it's called. You know the thing, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have that. So when we wanted to go get some diner food and fight somebody... We had to go to Waffle Mm -hmm. House. It is one of the premium fighting arenas in the United States, I believe. Right. You got Madison Square Garden and the Waffle House. I moved to host all fighting events, including chess boxing, at the other Olympics in a Waffle House. Oh, fuck. That's such a good idea, bro. Yes. And that's automatically that's a tie in. That's right. Right. We've got the official breakfast restaurant. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and all day restaurant and let's just let's face it restaurant of the uh the other olympics god i'm i've never been more excited about anything than i am about the other olympics <laughs> all right well let's start off with uh, scattered an explosion at a south florida casino injured 26 people and caused countless others to scatter into South Florida streets on Monday. The explosion was apparently caused by routine maintenance work on a fire suppression system. Surprise! Florida is so unregulated they have exploding fire extinguishers. Anyway, all reported injuries were minor, and all reported injured were elder. Although it's Florida, they probably make minors work in the casino for all I know. For my scattered weather, if you find folks that stress and an excess of stimulus have destroyed your attention span and left you a little scattered, like every other person in the world, 
one thing that's going to help you, and I say this all the time, is getting more sleep. Unless you're mm. getting seven to nine hours of the good stuff every day, you are suffering significant cognitive impairment that you've gotten so used to, you don't even realize it anymore. But you're not stupid. You're not losing your mind. You just need a nap. Unless you're driving drunk through a cemetery, in which right. case you should uh, consult a mental health professional. Call me now for your free reading. For my smothered weather, so for this emotional weather, I'd like to celebrate an American comedy institution. Tom and Dick Smothers, known familiarly as the Smothers Brothers, were at one time cutting edge and were actually fired by CBS over very vocal opposition to the Vietnam conflict, support of civil rights, and regular provocations against authority. Pretty punk rock when you get down to it. Now in their 80s, these two really did shake things up so much so that when I was growing up in the 80s, I became aware of them like fairly young. So here's to you, Tom and Dick, and the fun and conscientious comedy you gifted America. Well, you know, I've never seen the Smothers Brothers. Really? No, and I, I don't even really know what their act is. It's very vaudeville. Like, it's it's very like Abbott and Costello. See, and it's also a little like uh, Rowan and Atkinson type stuff, too. But uh, but one of them is really, really good at the yo-yo, which I thought was really cool. Oh, yeah. See, that's how I know them, because I used to be a big yo-yo fan. Well, I will have to check them out sometime. I, assume I highly recommend can, it. You can find clips of them on YouTube and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Just well, don't watch the uh, the part where Grace Slick goes on in blackface. Eee, that's totally a Grace Slick move, though. Well, for my smothered weather, uh, since we're already talking about Waffle House, let's talk about this other southern institution, kudzu. It's one of the most famous invasive plants in America, although it's far from the only one. Uh, here mm -hmm. in, in uh, the Pacific Northwest, we have Himalayan blackberry, uh, the delicious mm -hmm. but terrible... Uh, invasive plant California they have these uh, ice weeds or ice plants whatever you call them that kind of grow everywhere uh, but kudzu kudzu is the big daddy at one point they expected kudzu to conquer the earth and it's not quite as bad as all that in fact uh, lately kudzu's on the decline in part because of the accidental importation of the plant's natural pest about 10 years ago which is super funny. That is really funny. But, you know, that's the story of horticulture in America. It's just a succession of fucking around and finding out. Just over and over again for hundreds of years. And it's amazing. Okay, for my covered emotional weather, I fear we might have to dig into this a little deep. But, uh, it's you know, it's funny that I mentioned the Grace Slick and Blackface thing. Because a staff member at the Newburgh, Oregon... Mabel Rush Elementary School arrived dressed as Rosa Parks, complete with blackface, which she contended was in protest to the state's mandatory vaccination policy for school workers. You know, the mental gymnastics required to make the leap from being asked to wear a mask and get a shot to protect the children that you work with who can't get the shot and often can't wear a mask to turn that into a persecution against you on the level of the Jim Crow era. Fuck you. The employee in question was, was placed on leave and will likely face some kind of disciplinary action. 
and she'll fucking deserve it. You know, I miss the days when I was a kid and teachers would just show up to school drunk. Yeah, I had some of that in uh, my scholastic experience as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to shout out any particular teachers. There's no need to throw shade at anybody, but... We know that's not water in that cup. It smells like fucking paint thinner. And some of us have seen the drawer in your desk. Yeah. I mean, you can at least run that shit through a Brita filter if you're going to drink vodka at school. (laughs) Right. All right. And for my covered weather, fall is pretty much beginning in my little corner of the world. It's getting chillier. It's even rained a couple of times and not a moment too soon because the air is helping with the fires. The air is getting breathable and... By God, it is time to don our sweaters. I love wearing sweaters, as you know, Gene. And you're you're also Mm -hmm. a very top-level sweaterman. You've got some great sweaters. Yeah, I like an argyle and I like a cardigan. I'm I'm pretty sweater versatile. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to the season of Cozy Cardigan and Cable Knit, my man, because... It is about right. time. I might even get a Snuggie this year. You know how every summer I say this is the year I start wearing caftans? Right. <laughs> well, this is the fall that I start wearing Snuggies. So I used to have a Snuggie, but now I have a, uh, a wearable robe that is infinitely better and makes me look like a Jedi Master. So I've, I've seen that robe, actually. That is a top-notch robe. I love it. All right. Well, as you know, every week our investigative team uncovers a detailed and harrowing story on food crime. And this week, Greg Person has the story. The newest craze in molecular gastronomy is called food pairing theory, which sounds harmless enough. But there's a troubling food heresy at the root of it. And so we've got to talk about it. What they do is they run ingredients like, for example, strawberries, eggs. You know what ingredients are. I don't know why I felt like I had to explain that. (laughs) They put them through uh, gas chromatographs, mass spectrometers, things like this, to find out their chemical composition. And the ingredients that share molecules in common are presumed to taste good together. So that's how they've given us classic pairings like salmon and licorice or coffee and carrots. So do you see the problem here, kids? Now, other wiser food scientists say that this reductive approach is too simple to determine what things will actually taste like together and that the mere presence of a molecule doesn't even necessarily influence the taste of a thing. And they say that if you really want to know, you need to put things in your goddamn mouth and decide for yourself. That that stands to reason. Right? Now, you know, Gene, and, and the audience at home knows that I always resist these kind of uh, simple-minded attempts to understand the world by breaking it into meaningless bits. And mm-hmm. I would say, and, and I hope you'll agree... That the official position of this show is that if food tastes good, if it tastes good to you in your mouth, and not just because some nerd put it in a mass spectrometer and discovered that mushrooms and strawberries share two of the same esters. Do not let these nerds gaslight you, folks. You stand in your food truth. By definition, it tastes good if it tastes good to you, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Absolutely. There, there are so few things you can trust in this world. At least you can trust your senses, probably. See, but that's that's the thing about this this whole approach to reality is they're like, oh, no, we, we uh, ran it through a machine and an algorithm told us that these are good. So these are good now. It's like, yeah, no. Yeah, that is not that is not the way to an objective truth. It's not. Experience does factor into into these sorts of things. 
Right, like if if our own experience of reality doesn't matter, if we're not going to trust that, what are we? What are any of us even fucking doing here? Like, right? What's the point of of being a living being in the world if you're going to discount your own experience because some fucking dork with a gas chromatograph told you that you like carrots and coffee together? Right. I'm not buying it. Mm-mm. Speaking of not buying things, it's time for the Podcast Shopping Network. Let's all name a terrible job in the kitchen so bad it's frequently used in storytelling as a punishment. Peeling potatoes, right? Peeling potatoes involves sharp knives and dangerous hand rotations. You can cut yourself, you can overcut the potato, and you can sprain your wrist. It's a terrible state of affairs, no? No! Because now there are tater mitts. Tater mitts are special gloves that you wear that bestow on you the godlike power of being able to peel a potato in eight seconds. Can you imagine? Making potatoes has never been simpler. You just boil them for a full five minutes. A full five minutes before you peel them. That's an essential step. The gloves won't work if the potatoes aren't boiled. But anyway, then you just scratch along the surface of the potatoes under cold running water, and the skin just peels away. Except apparently it doesn't. Some reviewers report two minutes or more to peel the spuds, which is a lot more than eight seconds, and is probably slower than just going at them with a paring knife. And don't think for a second that I didn't notice that you're basically blanching the potatoes. You could go at them with like a brush and the same thing would happen after you boil them for five minutes and run them under cold water. Here's a novel concept. You just leave the skin on. Then you don't always have to boil them. You can bake them, fry them, roast them. Yeah, sure, you can boil them too. Every possible application of potatoes I can imagine is made better by the nutrient-rich skin. Smooth mashed potatoes are overrated and frankly, kind of gross. My opinion only, but I can confidently say, at least, that I was never sucker enough to blow $8.99 on a pair of magic potato peeling gloves. So, that's something, I guess. You know, I, I really don't like this, as I say about all the products that we've ever featured in this segment. Mm-hmm. E- except for that one um, wiggling thing. That dancing thing? Oh, yeah, the flow. Yeah. Yes. yes, I do kind of like that thing. I need to watch the flow infomercial again. I've been a little anxious and a little high stress lately, and I think just, just 20 minutes of watching that, and I'll just feel so much better. You know what that is? That is the the spiritual opposite of the Rejuvenique face mask. Right? Right? I could watch 30 seconds of the Rejuvenique face mask video and be probably 10 times as stressed out and anxious as I am right now. Oh my God. Even just remembering it and imagining it still <laughs> right? existing somewhere in the world is making me so tense. I feel my shoulders tensing so hard. But the thing is, is this is a, this is a good contrast to be drawn to between bad, stupid kitchen design and good mm-hmm. kitchen design. Because with my OXO good grips, potato peeler, I guarantee you I can peel that potato in less time than it takes to boil it and then scrub it with my potato mitt. Right. And the beauty of of using an actual potato peeler, which is a product that exists, by the way, and it's not hard to find. You don't need to send away for it. Mm -hmm. Any store that you go to, they'll have it. You get a potato peeler, you peel the potato, and you don't have to boil it first. So you could do 
anything with that potato. Ooh. The potatabilities are endless. That's really good. Thank you for that. I appreciate that one. All right. It is time for State Up, our weekly review of all the states in the union. This week, Nevada. In Nevada, every baby leaves the hospital with a cup of quarters and a coupon for the nearest buffet. They say that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But if that's true, how do we even know that Las Vegas exists? How did Hunter S. Thompson write that book? How do I have these memories of losing so, so much money and eating so, so much shrimp? Uh, Honestly, I didn't gamble in these memories. I just spent a buttload of money on shrimp. You know, Nevada is called the Silver State, despite the fact that it is, like all states, mostly made of dirt and primarily brown. Here's a fun fact. Virginia City, Nevada, is actually named after a gold miner, whose name, of course, was James City Boy Finney. Do you guys remember Cablap? That was great. Cablap. <laughs> Cablap. In our universe, the state of Nevada is a libertarian's wet dream, an oasis of vice and spectacle. But in the mirror universe, the state of Adavan would put Atwood's Gilead to shame for all its piety and austerity. There's still a Las Vegas there, but instead of Wayne Newton, it's repped by Kirk Cameron and Amy Grant. There are no neon lights because harnessed electricity is not of God. Oddly, it is still a desert hellscape. Our final segment tonight, as every week, is called Person to Person and Person, where we share your valuable feedback with our audience. This week, a Tim inquired if we'll be covering the big news about South Park and Paramount Plus, and I wasn't quite sure what that was, but I will say this in regards to covering it. No, we probably won't be covering that story. I mean, I guess we could... But when you've got guys trying to measure their penis internally with a USB cable, I mean, there's a level of triage we have to perform here. We did have a couple of articles shared by Tim's this week for our headline haiku, and it was nice to have a choice of stories, so thank you, Tim's. The article I've selected reads, Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard Movie Set for Remake. The haiku. I am curious. I wouldn't say I'm intrigued. And I... Wait. And I... That was epic. I am blown away. As always, I'd like to give a shout out to our bros at the Bros A Podcast and to our voiceover artist, Adam West, who you can find on Fiverr or at his website, awestprod.com. Folks, that's all the news the persons have for you tonight. Would you like a haiku written about the topic of your choice? Send your topic, and the anchor persons might just make that happen. Gene and Greg love your feedback, and there are so many ways to give it to them. Send them an email, anchorpersonspodcast at gmail.com. Find them on Twitter, at anchorpersons. Or visit their website, anchorpersonspodcast.com, where you can leave an audio message via SpeakPipe, as well as find full episodes of the show, blog posts, and more. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcatcher of your choice. Or simply tell a friend. Until next time... This is Gene Person saying you should always end a comedy set with a callback. And this is Greg Person saying, I will always love you. Good night.
The assassin has overcome my final line of defense, and now he plans to serenade me. In the end, what separates a man from a slave? Money? Power? No. A man chooses. A slave obeys. You think you have memories. A farm. A family. A bottle. A cemetery. And then this place. Was there really a family? Did you drive through that cemetery? Or was it a dream? Forced down. Forced down by something less than a man. Something bred to sleepwalk through life unless activated by a simple phrase spoken by their kindly master. Come in. Stop, would you kindly. Would you kindly. Powerful phrase. Familiar phrase. Sit, would you kindly. Stand, would you kindly. Run. Stop. Turn. Was a man sent to serenade or a slave? Sing. And I... A man chooses. A slave obeys. <laughs> <laughs>